Welcome to Lady Killers, a podcast about female serial killers. I am your host, Abraham Archambo. Let's go dig up some bodies. Hello everybody out there. Greetings from the Pacific Northwest. Hope everyone is doing well. I guess as well as you possibly can out there. Uh, We're experiencing a little heat wave up here in the Northwest. Uh, It's been in the 90s for the past couple days. So we're a little bit uh, sweaty, maybe a little irritable right now, but we're we're gonna power through this. I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits as we continue to trudge along in this new America of ours. I don't know if ours is even the proper word for America anymore, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you didn't come here to listen to me ramble on about the, uh, my political views and the, the situation of our world right now. We all know there's a pandemic that is plaguing our planet right now, and... Uh, we're seemingly spiraling out of control. Maybe you all need a distraction right now, so uh, let's just go ahead and jump into this. Uh, that's where I come into play here. I'm going to deliver this podcast for you today. As you all know, you're here for Lady Killers, a podcast about uh, women killers. Every week we pick a new state in our union where a lady killer pretty much did all of her uh, dirty deeds. And so the state that I chose this week, uh, it's another one of those beasts out there, one of the big ones. Uh, Many of the lady killers actually reside in this state. Um, And that state for this week is Texas. And the saying down there, as everybody knows, everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, I would agree. I did live there for a little bit. Uh, Definitely murder, especially, is bigger in Texas. This week, I had to really wade through piles and piles of dead bodies around the state of Texas uh, trying to find the best lady killer for this week. And it does seem like the state of Texas really houses a lot of women that are trying to get rid of their children. There are a lot of uh, child killers. Uh, When it comes to the women, they they, uh, get rid of their children. And so... uh, while I was conducting my research for this particular episode, one of these women, women, they just got just stuck up in the old noggin, and uh, she just wouldn't leave. Uh, she plagued me for days as I contemplated whether or not I should really write about this violent and sadistic killer. Uh, I eventually did cave in, and I decided that you all out there should know about her if you don't already know about her. Um, she still has been haunting my nightmares the past few nights. I would assume in the foreseeable future she will continue to do so. Uh, She's a vicious, vicious murderer. And I hope she doesn't get lodged in your subconscious and uh, accompany you around everywhere like she has with me recently. Uh, The lady killer for this week, as I said, she's just a vicious, evil child slayer who set up her shop in Brownsville, Texas. The murders she committed still weigh heavy on, you know, the hearts of the citizens of that town. Our lady killer for this week goes by the name Angela K. 
Camacho. Not much is known about the early life of Angela Camacho. Uh, we all know, uh, according to reports, that she illegally immigrated from Mexico, uh, where she was born November 11th, 1979. And according to the initial police report for Camacho's crimes, uh, the, the police listed Matamoros, Mexico, as her place of birth. And that is the, the border town on the Mexican side. Uh, across from Brownsville, Texas. So that's one of the border towns, as you would see San Diego and Tijuana, that sort of thing. Uh, she set up her residence in Brownsville, Texas, where she immediately got pregnant and had her first child by one man and then immediately knocked up shortly after by another man. By the time she met John Allen Rubio, the man who she would commit atrocities with, that would have been the year 2001. I didn't go into too much background uh, trying to find out about uh, Rubio's early life either. Uh, he was an American. He was from the state of Texas. He was a native, and he grew up around the Brownsville area. It was known from the family on either side of these people that both Camacho and Rubio came from lives of abject poverty and crime. It appears that both of them also grew up around a little bit of witchcraft and uh, a lot of superstition. And I think this commonality between the two led them to instantly fall in some sort of morbid love with one another. Angela Camacho was known to have the mind of a child. After her arrest, uh, I believe it was four times they administered an IQ test with her. And uh, each time the results came back showing... A form of mental retardation. She was also a sheep or a follower, which isn't surprising since, you know, according to what the court said, she was a child mentally. Many said that she would always just kind of go along for the ride in any of the situations, except for drug use, which is the one thing apparently she never dabbled in. She never wanted to deal with that. She stayed away from the drugs. Uh, and the people around her who knew her said she wasn't, quote, the sharpest knife in the drawer and she would do whatever you told her to do basically now if you just add in a little dysfunction and some witchcraft from this John Allen Rubio fella you have the perfect recipe for disaster with the aforementioned traits of Angela Camacho you also have the perfect lady killer for this week the two bonded over their past lives growing up surrounded by dysfunction, alcoholism, and rampant drug abuse. Rubio would tell Angela Camacho about his past, where he found himself amid drug-abusing witches and prostitutes. And at one point, uh, his mother began pimping him out out on the streets. Uh, I didn't find out how old he was when he was engaging in, in these activities. Uh, he was only in his early 20s when this all happened anyway, so... I believe it was during his early teen years, his mother uh, sent him out on the streets to uh, shake his thing, I guess, and uh, pick up some dough. According to him, he said it beat flipping burgers at the local fast food joint anyway, so it appears he didn't really complain too much about having to be a sex worker. He did have some minor run-ins with the law, usually over minor drug charges. He was busted at one point for uh, marijuana possession and also cocaine. His drug of choice, what he was known to be very fond of, was huffing paint 
and other common household chemicals that can be easily attained and uh, much cheaper than some of the street drugs that, uh, that were out there at the time. Let me tell you, I've known people that have had a huffing problem with paint, usually, and uh, they are not coherent people after prolonged use and a prolonged abuse of huffing. So uh, the state of mind that he was in at this time... I don't think he was all there, really. He couldn't have been uh, with a constant huffing problem that he had. But nonetheless, through all of that drug abuse, being surrounded by superstitious witches, and he himself even being a, uh, a sex worker, John Allen Rubio actually finished his high school, and he even participated in the ROTC program. So he actually had some sort of head on his shoulders at one point in his life. But for now, let's go ahead and return to our lady killer for the week, Angela Camacho. So she already has one child from another man, which was a daughter by the name of Julissa Angela Quesada. She was also pregnant with another man's child at the same time that her and uh, John Ru Allen Rubio got together. Uh, Rubio claims to have been fine with her having these other children from other men and he said that he was going to raise those children as his own he had no problem with that he even named that second child after himself when he was born john jr wasn't even his child but you know he was going to take that responsibility head on and he was going to raise these children like he was their biological father not long after john jr was born angela found herself yet again knocked up but at least this time it was with her common-law husband, John Allen Rubio. And that third child, a daughter, was named Mary Jane Rubio. She was only two months old when the horrific murders in March of 2003 occurred. So we have this mentally challenged young woman, Angela, who was just uh, pumping out kids at an alarming rate. I mean, she was basically, as soon as she could give birth to another one, get pregnant and give birth to another one, there she was. You know, she was in line to become just this perfect baby-making factory. This was paired with John Allen Rubio, who was a long-term abuser of inhalants, as I mentioned before. And I did a little research on what actually does happen to you if you do ab abuse inhalants. If you've got the, the paint and uh, just the various chemicals you got lying around the house. I know, I used to, like I say, I used to know a lot of people that, that huffed. And what it does, uh, the, the abuser will suffer from severe depression, mood changes, loss of weight, loss of coordination, irritability, and in many cases they develop permanent brain damage in parts of their brain, which I can attest to. I've seen that firsthand. And uh, either way, I think we've all seen how this tragic movie ends, and, uh, and we hate the way it ends. In early March of 2003, Angela Camacho said that odd things started to happen around her children. The babies were crying more than usual, and there was just a strange aura floating about the house. According to Camacho, she felt like maybe someone had put a spell on her little kids somehow. And she racked her brain, and finally she did recall that a lady on the bus gave one of her children a piece of candy. And she thinks that that might have been where the curse or this evil spirit came from that she believed was around their home. And as the days progressed, she was completely convinced that her children 
had become possessed as a result of a little bit of witchcraft. Now, some Mexicans, they use an egg to test whether or not a person has had a curse put upon them. And so, in this case, Angela Camacho and John Allen Rubio believe their children were in fact possessed by some sort of evil entity, so they proceeded to conduct this egg test. The oldest daughter, Julissa, she was put in like a, an altar-like setting while the parents took an egg and rubbed it all over her body. After they finished rubbing her body with the egg, the egg was cracked and dropped into a glass of water. This is how you're, you're supposed to check to see if there is a curse that's present. Um, depending on what the egg's reaction is to the water, that's how you can determine it. And in this case, Camacho, she said it was floating in a peculiar manner. And so apparently that meant that Julissa was indeed cursed by some entity. I did a little research, looked into this egg testing theory, and uh, it is fairly common in Mexico. Many people south of the border use it to test those that they feel have the mal ojo, which is basically the evil eye in English, if you translate it that way. Uh, if, if a person's suspected to have the evil spirit or the evil eye, uh, some sort of bad mojo inside of them, then they can, they can also be cleansed by an egg. And my wife, she, she hails from Mexico. She lived the uh, first, first half of her life down there. Um, and she did confirm that it does happen in many areas of the country. It's usually in the smaller towns and villages that it does happen. Uh, it's a form of faith healing. Uh, and there's, there's many different spiritual rituals that people participate down in Mexico. But uh, in the case of Angela Camacho and John Allen Rubio, they just they took it way too far. Way, way, way too far, which is what you're about to learn right now. And uh, according to the police reports, the day of March 11th, 2003 would be one of the most gruesome scenes ever found in Brownsville history. At around 7 p.m. on the night in question, police officer Efrain Cervantes was responding to a domestic disturbance call in the same neighborhood as Camacho and Rubio. As he drove his cruiser down the street, a terrified man and woman emerged in the middle of the road, flagging down his patrol car. He immediately pulled his car over and he confronted the couple. Jose Luis Rubio and Maria Elena Alvarez, which was the brother and sister-in-law of John Allen Rubio, were absolutely hysterical. Maria was screaming in Spanish, the babies are dead, the babies are dead, while Jose Luis was yelling hysterically, they have no heads. They have no heads. He just kept repeating that over and over again. Officer Cervantes, completely blindsided by all this and confused and terrified in his own right, ushered the couple into his car. And as composed as he could be, he asked the couple to direct him to the scene so they could sort out whatever the hell was going on. All the while, during the trip to the home in question, the couple just continued to yell on repeat, they have no heads, they have no heads. Maria and Jose led the police officer to a decrepit apartment building and up to the door of John Allen Rubio and Angela Camacho. John Allen Rubio answered the door and Officer Cervantes asked what was going on. John Allen Rubio calmly invited Officer Cervantes into the apartment, all the while muttering to himself over and over again, the kids, the kids, the kids. 
Cervantes entered the filthy apartment and he proceeded to investigate. Now, according to Cervantes, the apartment was just disgusting. He said there was garbage, dirty clothes strewn about the entire living room. He spotted Angela sitting on a futon and just staring emotionless at the floor. John Allen Rubio quietly sat down next to his common-law wife. He was also just emotionless. John's brother, Jose Luis, proceeded to bark at John, prodding him to tell the police officer what was going on. So John Allen Rubio quietly said, The kids are in the back room. This podcast is uh, its kind of a violent one, and uh, it's very disturbing, and it talks about children and uh, horrible things that happen to them. So I want to warn everybody that this is a... Uh, this could make you sick, this this podcast. Uh, it definitely has made me sick to my stomach, and this is definitely the, the worst one I've done, worst podcast I've done up to this point. Uh, it's really stuck with me. So I just want to warn everybody, it, it is, uh, I don't know, use discretion. If you uh, are squeamish, if you can't handle blood and uh, especially horrible atrocities that happen to children, this is not going to be the podcast you'll want to listen to. You should probably head on over, uh, find a podcast about some rainbows or unicorns or something. Uh, my daughter told me that uh, unicorns fart rainbows, so maybe there's a podcast out there about that. That's probably more up your alley. I don't want you guys to uh, blame me afterwards uh, if you have nightmares, which I have had over the past few nights. So uh, just to let you know, you've been warned. Officer Cervantes waded through the piles of trash towards the back of the apartment. He recalled in his police report that the hallway had a very powerfully strong odor of some sort of cleaning solution, possibly bleach. He glanced through a doorway on the right with an open door, the bedroom, and he saw what he thought was a doll laying on the bed. Upon closer inspection, Officer Cervantes realized he was looking at a lifeless, naked child. But what he was also looking at was a lifeless, naked child that was clearly missing his head. The stunned police officer immediately called in the murder and requested backup. Uh, after he called in backup, he stormed back into the front of the apartment to find John Allen Rubio already sitting there with his hands together, begging the officer to arrest him. Officer Cervantes complied, cuffing Rubio and ordering everyone else out of the apartment. The chief of police, Carlos Garcia, and a few other detectives arrived on the scene to try and piece together one of the most horrific scenes witnessed not only in the city of Brownsville, but the entire state of Texas. The chief was first greeted with the just totally disgusting living conditions in the apartment. He said that clothes and heaps of garbage littered the entire apartment, every corner possible, making it so difficult to navigate and investigate the scene. He said the apartment was, quote, in the worst conditions that anyone could live in the United States. There's also an investigator there by the name of Chris Ortiz. Tried to navigate through the piles of all water bottles, toys, garbage, and pretty much everything that, that those people owned was just strewn about everywhere. He waded through the muck and the mire, and he finally reached the bedroom. He saw the body in question and was unsure of what it was. He was convinced that it was a, a baby doll or a toy of some sort. That is, until he touched the figure. He said he immediately knew it was a human body when he touched it. Uh, 
The young boy, John Jr., lay dead, without a head, and devoid of all blood. Officer Cervantes, who was still wading through the trash, found a large black garbage bag on the floor at the foot of the bed. He thought he noticed a round shape inside of it, and so he assumed that's where the head of John Jr. was, uh, since the body was missing a head. And so Officer Cervantes slowly opened the bag and he peered inside. And what he found was even worse than initially imagined. Inside were two more dead children, both headless. The bodies inside the bag were those of three-year-old Julissa and the two-month-old baby Mary Jane. A separate bag, which was found a little bit later, contained the heads of those two little innocent girls. The investigators and police officers at the scene could not even fathom what had happened. They described the scene as, quote, horrific, and that there was blood everywhere. The kitchen had little pools of blood and stains everywhere, and a seemingly harmless bucket sat on the kitchen floor. Upon further inspection, investigators found that bucket and that it was, it was filled with bloody water. There was at least three bloody knives that were found between the kitchen and the bedroom of where the body was found. And then in the bathroom, they found the bloody clothes worn by Angela Camacho and John Allen Rubio at the time of the murders. The clothing, it was soaking in water to try to remove the blood, which wasn't having any effect at all. The clothes were just completely covered in blood. Everyone involved from the police officers, the detectives, and even the brother and sister-in-law of John, John Allen Rubio kept asking the same question. Why? 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 Well, the investigators would soon find out why, as first they interviewed John Allen Rubio, who calmly, nonchalantly, and apparently very coherently related the entire incident. He said it all started with the children's pet hamsters. One day as he was passing by the cage he, you know, that contained these hamsters, he heard a low growling noise. He approached the cage and he peered inside. And what he saw in his mind were evil hamsters that had been possessed by evil spirits and demons. That is the only way they could be growling like they were growling at him, he said. And the only way to free these hamsters were to take them each out of the cage and smash their brains in with a hammer. Pretty simple, right? That's what most of us do when we hear the demon hamsters growling at us. And after smashing the animals into oblivion, he was sure the demons and evil spirits had left the animals. He then proceeded to dump bleach over the bodies. He then claimed that he flushed the rodents down the toilet. But uh, the investigators searched the toilet and they searched the drain, but they never ever found any hamster bodies anywhere in, on the scene, in the drains, in the toilet, nowhere. So I'm sure it actually did happen because uh, as he was conducting his little rodent exorcism, the three-year-old girl, Julissa, walked in on him. She saw what he was doing and she immediately began screaming bloody murder, as one would if they saw their parent bashing in their pet's brain with a hammer. According to John Allen Rubio, at this point, he also noticed that Julissa was exhibiting signs of demon possession as the hamsters were. He said she started talking in some sort of demonized way and she was looking at him in a very strange manner. He claimed she was possessed by the spirit of his dead grandmother. 
John Allen Rubio began to become very frightened as Julissa hissed and screamed at him, claiming to be the spirit of his grandmother. She said she had returned from limbo and she had stolen Julissa's soul. And from that moment on, John Allen Rubio was convinced that all of the children were possessed by evil demonic forces. And he said they all started chanting at one another like three little witches talking back and forth. Remember, the, the oldest was three years old, then there was a one-year-old, and then a two-month-old. Apparently they were all getting together like, you know, in a little coven of witches and talking to each other in, in some other foreign language. Angela Camacho was nearby as the children started to chant. They, she said they t were talking to each other in different voices and different languages. She was instantly terrified as well, and she started yelling at John Allen Rubio, urging him to kill the little demons. Rubio instantly snatched Julissa by the throat and began to throttle her, while Angela Camacho rushed into the kitchen to retrieve some knives to aid in this exorcism. This entire time, John Allen Rubio was strangling his daughter, the one that he swore to protect and raise as his own. This whole time he was doing this, she was screaming out, You are killing me! And those are in quotes. He claims that that was just the demon trying to get inside his mind and manipulate him with, quote, bad magic. At this moment, Angela had returned with the knives, and she kind of splayed them all out for Rubio's use. And for some reason, he just couldn't strangle this little three-year-old girl to death, so he slammed her down on the ground, and he commenced stabbing the tiny girl to death. He said this still didn't do the trick. She kept flailing around, fighting him. And in Rubio's mind, this was due to the fact that the magic inside of her was just too strong for him to fight. Even when the poor child cried out, quote, Mom, please make Dad stop. Since the magic was just too strong within innocent Julissa, it only meant that the situation called for something much harsher. Angela grabbed Julissa and held her down tightly as John Allen Rubio grabbed a nearby machete and he ended the fight with this supposed demon lopping her three-year-old head off. Rubio said the blood was everywhere, shooting out of the little body like a river. Angela quickly snatched the body up and ran into the kitchen where she cleaned all the blood off of the body. This is where she filled up that bucket that was found with cold water and she dropped little Julissa's severed head into it. While Angela cleaned the body, John Allen Rubio nailed the back door of the apartment shut, thinking this would keep out any other mischievous demons that might be lurking about. But in there was a conflicting testimony. Uh, Angela Camacho claimed Rubio had nailed the door shut before any of the murders actually happened. Regardless, they both believed that if they nailed the door shut, that it would prevent any further darker souls or spirits from entering their apartment. Following Hulisa's autopsy later on, it, it would show that her body was covered in stab wounds around the face and neck, at least 12 in the face-neck area, and an additional 21 stab wounds across her chest. This wasn't just a choking death of a three-year-old girl. This was a brutal slaying of an innocent little girl with a knife and a machete to remove her head. After John Allen Rubio had secured the area, he turned his sights to the next demon, and this was two-month-old Mary Jane. According to him, she was spitting and frothing at the mouth, 
She was growling like a demon and yelling at him. This is a two-month-old infant. Remember this. A two-month-old infant who he grabbed by the throat and he throttled just like he did to the little three-year-old, Hulisa. He said the two-month-old witch just wouldn't die. There was Angela Camacho. She watched on and she encouraged her lover to keep at it. Rubio thinks he then stabbed Mary Jane in the head, but he said he couldn't quite remember during all the pandemonium. The autopsy reports do show that he had stabbed her so hard that it broke a vertebrae in her neck. But this still didn't kill this demon witch, so he frantically searched around for that machete that he had used earlier on Hulisa, and he couldn't find that either, and he said he couldn't find the machete because he believed the witches had made it disappear. He gave up stabbing, which I guess it just wasn't working for him. Remember, again, this is a two-month-old little infant that he is repeatedly stabbing and choking and just wouldn't die, he said, because it was an evil demon. He eventually removed the baby's head with his bare hands. And he was quoted as saying, quote, It was very hard, but I managed to pull her head off. He handed off the headless body to Angela Camacho, who proceeded to wash the body and drop the head in the bucket as she did previously with Hulisa. At this point, the two murderers were exhausted and uh, they were just spent from all this demon and witch hunting that they had just had to do. Uh, but there's, they still had one remaining devil to deal with, though, and that was little Johnny Jr., the one-year-old. But John Allen Rubio claimed he was the strongest of all the other witches, exuding the strength that only Satan himself possessed. He claimed he could literally feel the, the evil oozing off of little Johnny Jr. And since he was too strong, Angela helped him hold the child down. Rubio doused the body with water from the sink, thinking that, uh, you know, this would ward off any evil spirits. He thought it was probably uh, holy water, and he thought he could just go get some water from the sink and throw it on the baby. You know, nothing happened. The body kept writhing and barking, incantations at them, trying to cast evil spells. John Allen Rubio claims that he didn't stab Johnny, which would indicate that our evil lady killer, Angela Camacho, was the one who ended the poor child's life. He was found with multiple stab wounds across his body, but there was one horrible wound that was just below his testicles on his right leg. While Angela finished butchering her one-year-old son, John Allen Rubio retrieved the sharpest knife in the kitchen and removed the head from the body as he did with the other two. Angela Camacho, in the same fashion as with her daughters, cleaned the body off in the sink and dropped his head into the bucket with the other victims. The murderous couple tried their best to clean up the crime scene, uh, or in their minds, the exorcism. They grabbed two large garbage bags and put the bodies of the children in one, and while the heads went into another one. They were exhausted at this point, and they were just drenched in the blood of their three innocent babies, so they took a long, hot shower together. They removed all the blood, and then, when they were done with that, went into the living room to relax on the couch, while their children's bodies lay motionless and dead in the next room. So here we go. We got John Allen Rubio. He convinces Angela Camacho to make love for the last time. And she thought it would be a great idea since she figured they were going away to jail forever and they were never going to see each other again, so they should just go ahead and bang one out again. Oh, how romantic of those two. According to a statement given to police, 
John Allen Rubio actually told Angela that he was dying and that they should just bang one, one last one out before he died. And again, of course, since this is another man manipulating one of our lady killers, Angela agreed to it, went along with it, as she did in her life, the sheep. And they went ahead and banged one out. Angela Camacho admitted to participating in all of the murders. One of the police reports with her initial confession in it listed the motive as witchcraft. She said she held down the demons while Rubio stabbed and mutilated them. Angela then said that her daughter Mary Jane stared into her eyes during this entire ordeal and she was flashing this evil and anger through her eyes. They both agreed that the reason that they massacred their own children because they were possessed by evil witches and demons. Mary Jane was only two months old again, remember, so this two-month-old infant was flashing this evil eye and this anger at her mother. Upon questioning Angela Camacho a second time, authorities claimed she changed her story, mixed it up completely, and she said the children weren't killed because they were possessed by evil spirits, but rather it was all due to their financial woes. Their welfare and their food stamps were expiring. Uh, their rent was basically three months past, and it was it was due immediately. They were had no money to pay it, so they were facing eviction, and nobody would let them crash at their house. They said, "I wonder why these two seem like such lovely people." So Angela Camacho and John Allen Rubio discussed uh, what they should do. Angela thought it would be best to just kill the children instead of subjecting them to a life of poverty and homelessness. She thought it was, quote, better that they go with God, end quote. When she was asked how she could possibly do this to her children, she claimed she did whatever John Allen Rubio told her because she was afraid of losing him. Not losing her children, they weren't a concern to her. She was only concerned with losing her husband, who was a complete and total drug-abusing scumbag. Both were charged with three counts of capital murder, making them eligible for the death penalty. Now, previously I had mentioned that they had given Angela Camacho these numerous IQ tests, you know, to see how competent she was, where she stood, you know. And uh, as I said before, they, they called her mentally retarded, but they also said she was competent to stand trial. That's where the, I don't know, this is where we have this conflicting information. Uh, one hand, she's mentally retarded. The other hand, she's competent to stand trial. Um, that's just how our justice system goes sometimes. <laughs> I don't understand it completely, but uh, I think she was competent. Because when she was being arrested at the scene, the police asked her if she thought she was going to be going to jail for anything. And her reply was, quote, yes, because we did something wrong, end quote. She knew what she was doing. I mean, she knew the consequences too. She knew if she did this, she would go to jail. And even when the, the scumbag Rubio convinced her to, to bang one out one final time, she knew she was going to jail and she knew that this would be the last time that she could enjoy her, her husband's company. So uh, she knew what she was doing. I, just, I think she wanted to live a, a life that was free of her children where she could just enjoy her husband without any interference. In a supplemental police report regarding the murders, it stated that, quote, 
Ms. Camacho never showed any emotion or remorse during the confession, end quote. And this was also, uh, if you replace Ms. Camacho with Mr. Rubio, the same thing was written in John Allen Rubio's uh, supplemental police report. It said, Mr. Rubio never showed any emotion or remorse during the confession. That was all written in uppercase letters as well. The only time in the entire police report anything was written in uppercase letters was to show they had no remorse for what they had done. In July of 2005, Angela Camacho pleaded guilty to the three charges of murder. She was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences instead of the death penalty, and she would be eligible for parole in 40 years, which, if granted, she would just be immediately deported to Mexico anyway. Angela Camacho stated that she would rather stay and die in a Texas prison which is known to be notoriously brutal, rather than go back to Mexico. John Allen Rubio wasn't as lucky as Angela Camacho, who, according to him, she was the ringleader in the whole ordeal. She is the one uh, that ordered these murders. He was quoted as saying he would do anything for Angela, including murdering her children for her. He claimed she ordered the murders so that they could be together forever, which kind of lines up with her confession as well. The jury didn't really follow or believe anything that he had said, so he was sentenced to death. And, you know, I just, just keep thinking about this case, and it just bothers me so much, but it's mostly because of it involved innocent children. I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like. The oldest was three years old, and I still she would have known what was happening as as they were coming after her to hold her down. She kept crying out, you know, stop doing this to me. Why is daddy hurting me? Why, why is this happening? She was aware of what was going on, and that really, really sticks with me and really bothers me. You know, they, these children never asked to be born. They never told Angela Camacho to keep her legs spread open and keep pumping out babies. And I'm further disgusted by the fact that these two parents had, had been reported previously to Child Protective Services, and apparently the children were malnourished and they needed medical attention. This was just months before any of this happened. And, uh, you know, they sent the social workers out there. But the parents were never seen as, as abusive. Every visit they made to the home included a drug test for John Allen Rubio. They all came back negative. So there was no cause for alarm, right? I say 100% wrong. Uh, there was signs of it then. They knew something was happening. Um, but the only thing that happened, they were, they were counseled on the issue. They were ordered to take some parenting classes, but the children ultimately stayed in the home, no matter what happened through all of this. The agents from child protective services just said they would keep an eye on them, make sure everything went fine. But, uh, they only kept an eye on them through the end of December in 2002. And then three months later, the three siblings would be, they wouldn't be living anymore. They'd be lined up in tiny little coffins next to one another. How does this continue to happen in our country? I mean, how do we still not know how to protect our children at any cost? And it just kind of, I don't know, kind of reminds me of what is happening in our society today, where the people supposedly that are in charge of us are trying to get us to send our kids back to school when they know there is a pandemic that is happening across our planet. And if we send our kids back, it's just opening them up to more harm. So 
when are we ever going to learn that we need to protect our children? Now, I don't know what kind of childhood Angela Camacho had, but I mean, I know it couldn't have been great, but it's still no reason to, to do what she did. Uh, she grew up in poverty in Mexico, which, as I told you before, that's where my wife comes from. And she said it's, you know, it's not pretty when you're poor in Mexico. Uh, she didn't grow up destitute like Angela Camacho did, but she said her family towed the line on occasion. So she, she knows how hard it is to live there. Uh, and we know how, what the poverty situ situation in America is. We see the homeless. We see how they live. I mean, it's horrible, but take what we see here in America. Uh, it is much worse in Mexico. So I know that Angela Camacho did not grow up with, with much hope for, for a good future. Um, but she did manage to flee into America. That should have been a victory for her. It should have been a sign of hope for a new life and a new future. But unfortunately, as with many of the lady killers, she met a bad, bad man. And like many other womanizers and pigs out there, John Allen Rubio got into her head and he convinced her that he was the only thing she would ever need in life. And her weak and feeble mind allowed him to penetrate into her brain and that's when she started plotting her escape from motherhood. Whether she killed the children because of financial destitution or because she indeed thought they were the spawns of Satan, the fact remains that she killed her own children ages three, one, and two months. There is no excuse for that at all. And I don't know who did it, but someone in her early life did a number on her. And again, as I reiterate on almost every podcast, we really need to take better care of our children. We need to show them all the love that we can, or else they will grow up to be just like Angela Camacho. And as a little side note here, um, I don't really want to get political, and I don't feel this is being political, but uh, I do want to point out that Angela Camacho referenced having no money to pay the bills or the rent, and that the welfare and food stamps were... We're about to run dry. Uh, there are millions of Americans out there right now that are in the same boat as Angela Camacho. And during these trying times in our nation, there are millions of people are about to lose their those expanded unemployment benefits that were given. And once that happens, I mean, they're all going to be right there where Angela Camacho and John Allen Rubio were. I'm not condoning any of this despicable violence we've heard today. I'm just letting you all know out there that uh, there's other people in the world that have, are coming from a similar situation. And when people find themselves in desperate situations, they resort to desperate actions, especially when you throw in some drug use in there. They resort to these actions that they feel will get them out of a terrible plight. Uh, and it, it just never works out that way. And I don't mean to preach, and I'm, I'm sure some of you out there have differing opinions when it comes to the current situation of our nation. And uh, I don't want to preach. I don't want to. I know this is not what this podcast is about. I'm just trying to point out things could get pretty damn rough in the coming months if the current administration just doesn't step up and start saving lives instead of trying to just protect their own. Angela Camacho sits in her prison cell in Gatesville, Texas. She's not eligible for parole until March 12th, 2043. Um, and I know the events of that fateful day run through her mind constantly while she rots away in that prison cell. She took away any chance of a life from her children, obviously. Uh, at this point, they would 
basically almost all be adults um, had their mother not massacred them. And it sometimes makes you wonder, like, why someone like John Allen Rubio can still be alive and those innocent children were taken, never even allowed to experience a life of any sort. And it makes you wonder how someone like Angela Camacho, who most likely had a shitty childhood of her own, could how she, could she escape to the land of the free, America, and still end up as a sadistic, murdering, worthless pile of human garbage? How can someone who committed such atrocities be taken, taking our space up, breathing our oxygen? Doesn't seem right, does it? But I guess we will never know. And that is the story of Angela Camacho, our Lady Killer of the Week from the state of Texas. Folks, remember to, to send any comments or questions that you might have to uh, the email for this podcast, which is theladykillerspod at gmail.com. If you just want to let me know how we're doing here, uh, maybe there's a killer that you would like us to discuss on an upcoming episode, uh, feel free to drop us a, an email. We'll check those out and we'll get back to you. Uh, you can also check out our production website at 1129productions.com for any updates on the podcast uh, with our production company, as well as any news and updates on Loon Lake, uh, which... That screenplay can still be purchased or read on Amazon as we speak. Uh, I will also leave a link in the notes for this podcast. Uh, if you would like to contribute to this podcast, if you feel so inclined, I'll drop a link there. And uh, if you want to help out, uh, it'd be uh, very much appreciated. Obviously, it's not a requirement to donate, especially during these trying times. Uh, but I do want to let you know it is it is appreciated when it does happen. And uh, regardless, this podcast is going to be free for your enjoyment, whether anybody contributes or not. I will continue to do this. So there you have it. It's a, another episode is in the books for Lady Killers. Uh, I just want you all to know that I do remain hopeful in regards to the overall outlook of our nation and, and our planet. I know for sure we're going to beat this virus. Uh, it's on a tear right now, but uh, I know we're going to beat it as long as we uh, work together of taking this down, you know. I know we're also going to beat the hatred and the racism that is plaguing our country right now. There's just a deep hatred, and it's being egged on by certain people in our country that feel they are in charge of us, and that they have our best interest in mind, which they definitely do not. I believe we all possess love and compassion inside of us, and I think we just need to dig deep and find it. Bring it on out if you have to. Just get this love and compassion to the surface. That's the only thing that's going to beat the hatred. Overall, I think it really just comes down to what the fictitious version of Abraham Lincoln said in, in the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He simply said, be excellent to each other. I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. There's no place in our society for hate. None. So go check on your neighbor Make sure they have what they need, uh, even, even if it's not just physically what they need, but emotionally. Talk to them a little bit. Some people are alone. They haven't been alone before, and, and this is hard for them. Let's just take care of each other. Let's stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, and wear a mask or a face covering as you go outside. I am your humble and grateful host, Abraham Archambeau. I hope you have sweet dreams. <laughs>